You know, one of, one of my favorite things about this season is the early morning. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, of course you'd say that about the morning. While I, it is true, I am a morning guy. There, there is something about the mornings in this season. I want to get to wake up and make a cup of tea and turn the Christmas tree lights on and then light the fire in the fireplace, or in our case, turn the switch on for the fire in the fireplace, and then sit in my chair and just, like, just breathe. But there is, there's something about these moments that are so incredibly uh, comforting. A time in the morning when the worry and the stress and the anxiety, they just... They just melt away. All those pieces of the morning, from Christmas tree lights to fire in a fireplace to a cup of tea, they're, they're mixed together like, like chocolate and warm milk, right? It's like an invitation for the soul to just experience comfort. Now, truth be told, I, I don't think comfort is found solely in those quiet mornings of the season. Uh, but they can be found in other places, right? I think comfort can be found, and I'm gonna, just going to be honest here, I think it can be found in food. Can I get an amen? Right? There, there are particular kinds of food that are comforting, right? They, they, they just let our hearts melt. Like in this season for me, it's Chex Mix all the way. I don't know what it is about Chex and Worcestershire sauce poured over the top of that that says baby Jesus to me, but like it is, it is amazing, Right? Now, for some people, comfort foods, comfort foods move beyond Chex Mix. Like in, in every other season, for me, it's baked bread or homemade cinnamon rolls. Like for whatever reason, that, that, that smell and the taste, all of it is comforting. It's like an invitation to just be. I know for some people, it might be macaroni and cheese, I don't know, chicken noodle soup, spaghetti and meatballs. For some, instant ramen or maybe ice cream at the end of the day. Uh, perhaps your comfort food is a pierogi recipe that you've passed down from generation to generation, or, or it's a new love of Vietnamese pho, or whatever it is, it can't be denied right, that there are particular foods to you and to me that invite us to just find comfort. They invite us to just let the stress and the anxiety just, just melt away. You know, some months ago, I was caught off guard by a social media post which claimed that one of the most comforting things for human beings is hugs. In other words, Olaf isn't wrong. Right? Warm hugs are a good thing. A study from Berkeley University notes that hugs are good for your health. And here I'm quoting from the research. Hugging helps to release the hormone oxytocin, which plays an important role in social bonding, slowing down one's heart rate, reducing stress. It also helps the body to lower its blood pressure and relax the muscles and improve the immune system. <laughs> now, I wasn't caught off guard by the claim that Hugs are comforting to humans, but, but this is what caught me, is that human beings crave a hug 13 times a day. Perhaps, perhaps another way to say this is that humans crave the comfort of another's embrace. Well, friends, we are in the second week of our series, When All Seems Lost, a series 
helping us prepare for the coming of Christ, not, not only as a babe in Bethlehem, but also as King and Lord when He comes again. And this is what Advent is all about. It's about preparation, not of, not of external things, but of internal things. Advent is about preparing our hearts and our minds and our spirits for the coming King. And so to do, to do that, we've allowed the prophet Isaiah to speak, this prophet who, in many ways, is helping Israel of old prepare their hearts for the arrival of the Messiah. Now, if you're here last week, you'll remember I was saying that Isaiah is living and working in Judah, what we know to be kind of southern Israel, and he's working, living and working in a time just before God's people are taken into exile in Babylon. He's living and working before God's people would be ripped out of the promised land that he gave them. And in many ways, Isaiah is working in the shadow of the oncoming judgment of God. And so, many times, Isaiah's words, if we were to read through the whole of Isaiah, many of those words can be quite challenging, but they are rarely without hope. In other words, for every challenging word that comes from the prophet Isaiah, a comforting word follows, a reminder that God is on His people's side, a reminder that God is a good shepherd, that he is the Lord of the universe, that in a world that is constantly breaking down or people constantly dying, he lasts forever. See, when we're stressed or overrun by worry or anxiety, we need a word of comfort, an invitation for our heart and our spirit, an invitation that is warm and encouraging. So, that's what Isaiah brings us this morning in Isaiah 40. So let's get a Bible. You'll want one, hopefully the one you brought from your own home. And let's get to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to begin right at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, a beginning right at verse 1. Now, as you're getting there, uh, just a quick note about the context. In the chapter, which immediately precedes this in 39, Isaiah has given King Hezekiah some seriously bad news. Here's what it is. He says, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, they will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is some seriously awful news. Everything you know, Isaiah is saying, everything you know and love will be destroyed. All of the blessings which have come to you and by extension to God's people will be carried off into Babylon. In fact, your family line and name will be cut off since your sons will work for the king of Babylon as eunuchs. In other words, Isaiah is saying, like, it's over. All seems lost. Like, it's, it's done. Now, this, this message of Isaiah 39 has been Isaiah's message not only for the kings of Israel, but also for the people of Israel, a people who are no longer worthy to live in the promised land, a people who have failed to love God with their whole heart or to love their neighbors well, a people who have failed to bring blessing to the nations, 
A people who have failed to walk in obedience to God's abiding word. A people whose hearts have become hard and calloused. They are, as we said last week, a people who are deaf and blind to the word and the work of God. And so, God's word of judgment is to cast them out of the promised land and into exile. Now, it's not hard, I don't think, to imagine what Israel is thinking and feeling in Isaiah 39, right? That moment when you think life is going to go one way and then it goes another. Or the moment when you expect God to speak and act and you're met with silence and loneliness. Or the moment when you come face to face with your bad choices and your self-centeredness catches up with you. Or the moment when you have to stare your own disobedience in the face. Like, I, I've, I've been there. In those moments, and I suspect that you've been there too, and perhaps, perhaps some of you are there now, right? It is a moment when all seems lost, but then, then Isaiah speaks in chapter 40, verse 1. We heard Laura read it just minutes ago, but let's look at it together. Verse 1, Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins." I mean, what a word. What a comforting word. If you listen carefully, you can hear the tenderness in the voice of the prophet speaking like a father to a child, speaking with such tenderness, knowing, of course, that the hurt is ongoing, knowing that anger is festering, knowing that brokenness is bursting. But these are words. These are words given with so much love and so much care and so much compassion, so much comfort, like hot chocolate on the first snow or a warm blanket on a long night. This is, after all, what God wants for His people, for them, to be, for them to be comforted, to know that He is keeping His promise, that at the end of the day, our God is motivated by love. <laughs> you know, maybe this year has been difficult. Maybe when you reflect on the year, it's not what you thought it would be. Maybe the relationships that you've cherished in the past have suddenly become broken or forgotten. Maybe there were words that passed from you to your spouse or to your kids that you never thought you'd speak. Or maybe the addiction that plagued your parents is now being borne out by your children. Maybe your attempts to love your unruly and unfriendly neighbor have failed miserably. Maybe time and time again, you've become quite aware of your own self-centered tendencies. Maybe you've become acutely aware of your brokenness and sinful nature. Maybe as you reflect on the year, it's been hard. Maybe you're feeling like Israel like it's all over, it all seems lost. 
But when Isaiah speaks here in chapter 40, he speaks not only to Israel, he speaks to you and to me with tenderness in his voice, saying, child, your heavenly Father, your almighty God will bring blessing to you. See, a time is coming when all of those worries and all of that hurt and all of that brokenness will be swallowed up forever. There will be a time when tears will cease, when grief will become dormant, and when death will be an echo in the halls of history. A time is coming when God will come in all His glory and everything, I mean everything, will be put right. This is what Isaiah is picturing, actually, in verse 3 and following. So, let's look at verse 3 together. Isaiah says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Again, the imagery that Isaiah uses here is so poignant. Uh, basically, it's this. Everything that's been hard about your journey, everything that's been hard about your journey, every mountain, valley, desert, rough terrain, every brokenness, every hurt, every pain, every frustration, every grief, all of that will be gone, and you will simply be left in the presence of the Lord. And why does any of that matter? Because as Isaiah says, people are like grass. People will wither away and fade on His breath, but God and His Word will endure forever. <laughs> A time is coming when every mountain and valley and desert and rough place in your journey will be nothing but a straight shot to God. And if this isn't good news enough, <laughs> the same God who endures forever, who will swallow up every hard thing about our journey, about your life, who comes with power to destroy the enemies of death and the devil. This same God, Isaiah says, will embrace you in a hug. Let's look at it together. Verse 11, Isaiah says, He, that is God, tends his flock like a shepherd, and he gathers the lamb in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. You know, a study was put out several years ago by Rice University that noted, it was taking note of effective ways to, to help your anxious, overwrought, inconsolable child find peace and calm. Do you know what the most effective way was? Can you guess? It is to gather the child into a hug, and specifically a hug where their head meets your heart. Because once there, and once staying in that embrace, in a way that researchers struggled to explain, your child will succumb to the rhythm of your own breathing and the beating of your own heart. In other words, the child will surrender to the embrace 
and the pace and the tempo and the calm and the peace of the one bringing the hug. You know, when you and I are inconsolable, when our life is not what we think it should have been, when brokenness and hurt and grief fuel our tears, when we're aghast at our own sinful ways, Isaiah proclaims and he promises this comfort, that God will wrap us in a hug and put our heads to His heart so that we can catch the rhythm of His breathing and the beat of His heart, so that we can experience the peace and the calm that only He can deliver. You know, when you want to know what God the Father is like, the best way to do that is to look at Jesus, right? who is God revealed. I love the story in Mark's gospel when kids are being brought to Jesus. We read this in Mark's gospel. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. Now, I used to think that Jesus was saying, you need to have faith like a child, which is wild and free and generous. But I'm beginning to wonder if Jesus' suggestion here is that we need to be like children sitting and surrendering to the embrace of our Father, allowing his breathing on the beat of his own heart to set our own. I've often wondered in that very well-known moment when Peter walks on water and he loses sight of Jesus and he begins to sink and then we read, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I wonder, did Jesus pull Peter into a hug like a lamb? in the arms of a shepherd. You know, it's fascinating. Researchers also note that for a hug to have all of its benefits, all those benefits we talked about earlier, that hug must be held for at least six seconds. And dudes, dudes in the room, listen here. The research also says no tapping. You know what I mean, right? Dudes, when we hug, like we like to put our hands on them, we like to tap. That's how we do it, right? Give some space. The research is saying if you want all the benefits of hugging, no tapping. In order to re receive all of its gifts, the hug has to be a lasting embrace for at least six seconds. Here's the thing. There's no comfort like the arms of a wide-open invitation to an embrace, something that feels like a lifetime of warmth. There's no comfort like the one of the wide-open arms of a God who loves us, 
There's no comfort like the arms that are willingly and freely spread, though nailed to wood. There's no comfort, no comfort like the embrace of Jesus for you and me. You know, when we look at the cross of Christ, we should see an invitation to a hug, to an embrace of the one who is willing to bear every hardship and brokenness and hurt and anxiety and sin, bear it for you and me, so that there's nothing left, so that we succumb and surrender to our Savior's embrace. As we prepare for Christmas, for the coming of Jesus, both as a babe in Bethlehem, but also as we prepare for His coming again as King and Lord, when all seems lost, we should say and pray, comfort me. And then to know that our Savior comes with arms wide open for a lasting embrace like a lamb in the arms of a shepherd held close to his heart. So as we prepare, we should do some more hugging. Not only of one another, that, that'd be weird, like hugging Feely Church, that may be true. But to hug our Savior as well. So now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.